You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers. This is an episode of The Long Yak with Anissa and Poroma. Hello, this is Anissa, and we're back for The Long Yak with what we've been watching lately. Saya is super busy right now, so we weren't able to manage a time to record with all three of us, but Poroma and I did more than our fair share of yakking to make up for it. A couple of quick announcements. We are rapidly approaching episode 100! Yay! And to celebrate, we're doing a mailbag special! So send your silly or serious questions in text or voice format to dramasoverflowers at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer them! Also, patrons, if you haven't swung by our Patreon page lately, which, fair, we have been woefully lacking in extra content, we have finally started a Patreon-exclusive series called Below the Line. Basically, it's more of what we didn't have time to cover in each main Long Yak or What's Up in Dramaland episode, unfiltered, unedited, and loose. This episode's companion below the line is about Go-Go Squid 2 and a Love So Beautiful Korean version, so check that out if you haven't had a chance. And thank you, we couldn't do this without you. You can find it at patreon.com slash dramasoverflowers. And now, let's jump into the yak! Anissa. And this is Parma. And welcome to The Long Yak. This episode is about dramas that Anissa and I have been watching. And Saya has basically rejected. (laughs) (laughs) Though, we should start with the drama that Anissa rejected. And she's going to explain herself. I did reject it, yeah. So, if you've been reading our blog, then you know that we've been doing reviews of Sisyphus and we were very excited for Sisyphus. I was very excited for Sisyphus. Um, I just, I talked about this on the, in my reviews, but like after episode six, I just couldn't maintain the level of excitement. Like I kept waiting for it to grab me and it was fine in some ways. And there were things that interested me and I was like kind of intrigued by the premise, but For me, I think just like the editing really let me down. I just felt like every scene was so slow and drawn out and it really exposed a lot of the sort of the warts in the storytelling in a way that if it had been edited much tighter and the you know cuts had been quicker and each scene wasn't left to sort of breathe and struggle until it died a slow death in front of us and then we moved on to the next scene, I feel like I definitely would have enjoyed it and I would have forgiven a lot of the... Because, you know, like... In genre storytelling, there's always going to be stuff that doesn't make sense and like plot holes and stuff. And I'm fine to sort of go along with that and, you know, enjoy the ride. But I just couldn't enjoy the ride because the ride was like five kilometers an hour. You know, I just which is sad because like they could have had a lot of tension. And so I Saya and Burma have told me that it gets much better um, like in the week that I dropped it, the week after I dropped <laughs> it. But I just kind of lost my love for it. And then I started Vincenzo. Um, and then I was like fully into Vincenzo and I left Sisyphus in my rearview mirror. Yeah. Honestly, I don't blame you for that. Because if not for Saya's very optimistic love for this drama, I probably would have dropped it um, somewhere around the fifth or sixth episode. Or maybe I wouldn't have because my love for Park Shinhe is a bit unhealthy. I will keep watching really stupid dramas just to see <laughs> her on my screen. But I agree with you. The pacing is off. The editing, I do not understand the editing choices that Sisyphus made. But here's the really frustrating thing. If you keep watching Sisyphus, as I did, I'm going to be watching the last two episodes this weekend. It gets really good because there's actually a really good story to be told. 
but they hold back crucial information for so damn long that uh. by the time it's revealed, you're practically in tears of frustration because things don't make sense. So, okay, I'll give you an example that's mildly spoilery. It doesn't spoil anything. Uh, like if you've watched even the first three or four episodes of Sisyphus, this is not going to be a major spoiler for you. But if you haven't, feel free to skip on to uh, the next timestamp, which would be in the description where we'll be talking about Vincenzo. Or is it Vincenzo? Vincenzo. Anyway, revisit Vincenzo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this spoiler is basically about... So Park Shinhei's character comes back to stop Tesol, which is Jo Jung-suk. Cho Sung-woo. Cho Sung-woo, sorry. Why, would, why do I always confuse the names? Which is Cho Sung-woo from creating this time machine that basically sort of allows the bad guys to annihilate their world. But this is not the first time she's come back. Sohei, that's Park Shinhei's character, she doesn't remember the previous times, but she has a diary that records it. So this is the major spoiler. How she finds it, watch the drama to find out. But the point is that there are so many moments in the early half of this drama where the bad guys are chasing our heroes and then they corner them and then they just stand and wait while our heroes figure out a way to get out. It feels so off. It feels like these people don't know how to edit or direct uh, an action scene. But that pause actually makes perfect sense when you find out that the bad guys also know that this is not the first time. And they know that they won in all previous times by sticking to a certain uh, uh. score of wins and losses. So they know that in this particular instance, these two are going to get away. So they are waiting because that's what the script tells them to do. This is information we could have really used. It gives me goosebumps to think about now because from a storytelling perspective, such a damn cool idea. The bad guys know the script. They want you to stick to the script, including who the heroes end up killing or how the heroes end up escaping. They know it. They're still going through the motions because they want to get to the same result as all previous, you know, time jumps. And the heroes have to get out of that circle, that that circle, which is why it's Sisyphus. You're going up the mountain with uh, pushing the boulder up every single time and it's crushing you every single time. So concept wise, when I'm telling you this, do you see how cool it is? That is very but- cool. And I feel like they could have solved this problem with like one offhand sentence from one of the control bureau guys <laughs> being like, remember, this is how it went down or whatever. Like, that's all they needed to do. And then you would be they, like, oh, OK. They did that, but not before like episode 10. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, why, why would you hobble yourself like this? And now mind you guys. I like this drama. I really do. But it makes me insane how how much better the story could have been if the pacing and the editing had been just better. And I honestly blame the director for this. I love his work. I mean, this is the same guy who did City Hunter, mind you. And you cannot blame the guy for bad pacing, right? He knows his stuff. But director Jin Hook has now become a person who creates something like Legend of the Blue Sea, where the pacing is basically an entire character unto itself, spoiling the whole story. It's He, he seems to like to tell his story by taking a lot of time. And that's fine. But it's also... Not fine when you're trying to make a fast-paced time slip drama. And yeah. that is 
that is that is my complaint. And I and I don't know. I mean, this is just my theory, but I do feel like the more expensive his shows have gotten, the more yeah, self indulgent the, the editing has gotten. And I feel like part of it is just look at this. And I mean, like Legend of the Blue Sea too. Like they had some really gorgeous Absolutely. sets and really gorgeous. You know, like, especially like if you look at the stuff that was filmed, you know, on the beach and like the the saga portions, like they were so beautiful. And like with this, too, like the sets are amazing. And so I understand the sort of the impulse to be like, make this scene 10 minutes instead of five (laughs) minutes because we spent so many billions of one or whatever. But like he's, you know, doing a disservice to his own work. So it's sad. That is exactly it. Uh, There was one other thing. So I'm getting out all my negative feelings about this drama in this episode because when I discuss discuss this drama with Saya later on and we will revisit the positives of this uh, on a later episode, I don't want it to come crashing down (laughs) on me then because crashing down because I do love this drama for so many reasons. But as I think Anissa had said in her review and one of our commenters and friend, Lee Tennant had said in under Anissa's review or Sai's review uh, on our blog, this drama is so obviously written by a man. <laughs> that's what I, yeah, that's what's the point that I was going to bring up next. That was going to be my final point. I think that was like the death knell of why I didn't want to watch it anymore. That was my episode five review. Yeah. <sighs> Do do you want to continue that point? I will give the floor to you. (laughs) Sure. I just, I kept waiting for them to give Pakshane more to do. And they kind of did. I mean, I I stopped watching after episode six. But I just feel so, uh, like, I was so excited for her to do this role because she has been making a shift towards, like, more action badass type thing. And I I was just hoping that they wouldn't do that thing where she's just, like, a deadly woman who can kick butt, but she doesn't have any character traits that we can kind of like know in her life. I don't know what happens in later episodes, but for the first six episodes, I just didn't see any kind of she was just a mysterious woman who can kick butt, you know, like and that made me really sad. She does. She does change. And there is a lot like she pretty much her storyline pretty much takes over the second half, which is why I enjoy it so much. And she's not a cipher. She's not a one dimensional character. Her motivations are properly fleshed out. Her relationship with her father is given so much screen time. And you can see why Park Shane took this role because it's actually a really heavy, interesting role. Taesul, after a certain point, starts seeming one-dimensional. Like, we see all of his dimensions in the first half. And it's Sohei, whose character just keeps evolving. Her motivations, her strengths keep evolving. And I really love her character do bits. But the reason I say that this is being written by a man, uh, again, uh, Lee Tennant pointed this out, there is no female character in the background of this drama. Not even a spare bad guy. Right. I mean, it's so devoid of women. It's like they forgot women can exist outside some very definite trope. So there are three kinds of women in this drama. The first is the good girl, which is Park Shinhae, Sohei. The second is the vamp, uh, which is Kim Sojin. Um and the third kind is Sohei's mother. So basically the mother. So you have the good girl, the bad girl and the mother archetypes. That's it. That's all. This is all of the female presence in this drama. And I can't. And every other woman you see kind of falls in that. There are there are weak, abused housewives or there are, you know, just 
women exist in archetypes in in these creators' yeah. minds. And even though you say that Sohe becomes a much more interesting character, and that makes me really happy to hear. But like a lot of people are just gonna see a few episodes and be like, oh well, this isn't what I was looking for. And also, yeah, like just because sadly. the main character is that developed, the premise is still kind of her character in service of his in a lot of ways or her character in service of like other men in her life you know like when you create a a story where there's so few women and they're sort of in these boxes like no matter how nuanced and interesting you make those individual character executions I guess like it's still you know it's like a man's world I mean it is a man's world unfortunately but like in storytelling you don't have to do that so yeah that was a big thing for me which was one of the big reasons that I stopped watching yeah, so essentially that is kind of her character in that she comes back to help Tesol um, sort of not end the world. Though when we are focusing on her, it's her saying, I will stop this war from happening. I will stop the end of the world from coming. She never says, I will help Tesol from doing it. And honestly, she does take on a lot of, she's a very character she's not passive but the problem is that in the first half of the drama she waits around for Tesul to make his move so much that it undercuts the agency that they show later on in the drama right there is even a point towards the very end where Tesul's like well at one point I will be asked to choose between her and the world and I don't want to have to make that choice so I will so he literally kind of just like in a very safe and respectful way but he locks her away and is like you stay here I will go deal with the bad guys on my own because I don't want to have to make this choice and this is how Tiesel solves the problem he tries to avoid it entirely I haven't watched the episodes that come after that because those are the final two episodes but it just that made my blood boil Uh. are you insane you stupid schmuck you wouldn't have been alive till now if this woman hadn't been following you around and acting as a sniper come bodyguard plus the brains for a lot of different operations like at different times Tiesel gets them into corners and Sohe gets them out so this is a proper partnership I really like that but occasionally it's like I don't know what happens to the writers but they create these moments where Tesol has to be shown as like this brilliant person who needs her shining moments. And at those moments, Sohei is put in the background. And oh my God, that just makes me so angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's that's all of my gripe. But <laughs> I still like this drama. And as soon as it ends, I'm going to go back and watch it because I love the I love the action scenes. I initially I found it so hard to believe that tiny Park Shinhei can uh, just, I don't know, flip men three times her size. <laughs> and why was this being shown as like just perfectly normal? But no, it doesn't matter because Park Shini's character is shown to be going through such tremendous odds while growing up. This seems like nothing. Yeah, she can probably do it. She probably figured out how to do this. I love Sohei. I really, really do. I wish she could have had this entire story to herself and not had to share screen with a man. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. I wish I had seen that version of Sohei when I was watching it in the beginning because I probably would have stuck around. But anyway, anyway, let's move on yeah. to something that we're both watching and enjoying, which is Vincenzo. <laughs> so oh my God. I have... How much have you seen? Are you up to date on this, Rama? I'm not up to date. I've watched till episode 12 and... I'm, I'm, I've actually slowed down a bit now. I got up to four episodes in the last week and that's all I've watched aside from Sisyphus. 
and I know that they are going to delay the release of 17 and 18 by a week. So now I'm like, I'm too close to running out of episodes. So I have to slow down. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, I'm, I'm on 13 and a half episodes. Me and my sister are watching it. I like started watching this and then I think I watched six episodes and then told my sister that she would really enjoy it. But I was like, the episodes are really long. And, you know, she's in her final semester of university. So she's really busy. But I was like, let's yeah. just watch it. Like, it's definitely your sense of humor. You know, like, you'll enjoy it. She likes stuff that's kind of dramatic and like fast paced, oh, but also so funny. <laughs> yeah. In like a funny way. So we always started watching it. I think it was like Saturday. And then we watched like four episodes or five episodes in one weekend. And so then like we ran out. And I was like, I thought we would have time to like wait. But like we've been watching it every week. And the reason that we only watched half of episode 14 was because we were like trying to wait till the weekend. But I'm also disappointed that 17 and 18 are going to be delayed because it's really cliffhangery. Like every episode has such a great cliffhanger. Most of them do. Yeah, it does. I don't know who the preview editors are for this drama, but they are very good at their job. They don't they don't give you a false idea of what's going to happen in the next episode, but they also don't give you enough information about what's going to happen in the next week. I'm not a preview watcher, so I, I can't. But I do want to say, like, after watching Sisyphus and then going to Vincenzo, I was just blown away by how good the editing is in Vincenzo. Like, it's amazing and and it's a it's a female editor um what's her name i think it's the female director the female director Kim yeah Hwan, Kim Hwan. she by the way also did the crown clown which yes. totally makes sense to me and also money flower which i didn't know but oh my god <laughs> she is so good like i i'm gonna watch everything she does like i'm amazed at how in certain scenes everything about it is even sometimes the humor comes from, you know, where the camera is and how it tracks the shot and the scene composition. Oh, it's just so good. Um, and the music, which is a character almost like it's so it contributes so much to the mood and the tone of the show, but not just it in does. like a here's a sad scene. We'll have sad music. You know, it's like the operatic flair. <laughs> There's that one music cue. You know, it's like that that dramatic like violin music. Yeah, which comes in at these really hilarious moments <laughs> when the characters are feeling really upset about really dumb things. And then this like music comes in and you're, I was dying. Like there's that one scene where Vincenzo first comes to the building and he's trying to take a shower and it's like, not, it's not coming. And then the music also is like not, it's like sputtering the way that the water is. And I was like, that was the first shower scene I've seen in K-drama that wasn't like a total gratuitous, just like ogle this man kind of thing it was like totally plot driven it was so funny it was so so funny but there's so many moments like that he has an ongoing battle with this uh pigeon outside his window and anytime in Turkey. In Turkey, <laughs> and anytime he faces off with the pigeon there is always this you know this rising type of operatic <laughs> music that happens and i'm like oh my this i mean in any other movie it would have been a dramatic face-off moment where somebody's about to get killed. But in this case, he's trying to shoo away a pigeon who refuses to leave his bedroom alone. It's so great. It's so great. Uh, yeah. Also, I just generally like that th this piece of music is often used when Vincenzo is is basically he, he he's out like he, the Italian in his soul is outraged by something that Koreans are doing. <laughs> I really love the whole plot line of 
um, how he there's like an Italian restaurant in the building and the guys clearly never set foot in Italy, but he's like <laughs> pretending that he has. And so when Vincenzo shows up and he's like pretending that he understands what he's saying, and clearly doesn't know any Italian. And, and then like he he keeps coming to his restaurant and trying his food and being like, this is the worst thing I've ever tasted. It's like you took it out of a garbage can and reheated it. And like, there's that one scene where he goes with Chaeyoung to a coffee shop and she orders an Americano and he's like, Italians would consider that sewage water. And she's just like, I'm going to drink what it. sewage water, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just scenes like that, which are so accurate. I do find the fact that he has a level of Korean fluency to be able to like basically practice law very ridiculous for somebody who grew up outside the country <laughs> like that is yeah. totally ridiculous but everything else about how they portray his you know how he behaves as someone who is like a gyopo like like a korean italian that didn't grow up there like mm. the way he always when he gets really mad he reverts to italian um like swears in italian there are certain cultural norms that he just like doesn't know and doesn't get like the way he behaves and certain like that i was actually really well done I and i appreciated that. that yeah uh, we do. And also, see, with any other type of character, how slow Vincenzo speaks when, when he reverts to Italian would have seemed like, oh, he doesn't know the language, so he's speaking it slowly. But because this character is supposed to be very cool and suave and he just speaks slowly because he has all the time in the world and other people can just wait till he finishes his sentence. So true. It was. Like he does, Song Joong does such a great job of making it into like gravitas instead of a lack of <laughs> language fluency. It's so good. It's so good. Especially that scene in the first episode with his like the the son of his adoptive father and so the Italian son is like speaking in like this rapid fire Italian and Song Jun Ki is like responding in these relaxed way and but he's delivering insults <laughs> right he makes it threatening instead of not very you know believable yeah, yeah it's perfect apparently Song Jun Ki cannot speak Italian at all so man he had to work on that it's impressive I, and also like he has this way of doing humor with like this very deadpan, sophisticated, suave outer demeanor where he's like being funny, but it's very subtle. Like it works really well for this character and mm. it plays off well with John Yobin's like much more over the top. Like I did kind of have <laughs> trouble with her in the beginning because she was so over the top and I'd seen her in Mellow is My Nature where she's like really understated and she I really is. liked her in that. <laughs> Um, but in this, I was like, whoa, girl, like you're being in a little too much. Although I feel like after the events of episode four, her demeanor kind of calmed down a little bit and I, I liked her more. But I, I do really, really like her as well. Chayan, for me, the reason I didn't find her annoying was for the longest time, I was looking for someone who was a little like Veronica Park from uh, <laughs> Secret Life of My Secretary because a character like that who's just annoying <laughs> but also so self-assured you cannot dent her self-confidence and they are so hard to find in drama land like i found them in search www but these women are generally hard to find because dramas tend to create female characters who are relatable and most of the audience doesn't have bulletproof confidence like that to be so dramatic and so high yeah. uh, i don't know uh, energy <laughs> So they tend to create like mellow, humbler versions of these heroines. And that's great. But occasionally I need a Veronica Park and I need more of them on my screen than I've had in recent years. So to see Chaeyoung, I just instantly fell in love with her. Like I found her annoying for like all of five seconds in her first 
scene but the moment she has that discourse with her father the first scene outside the courthouse the moment that discourse ends i was sold i totally understood what she was doing with that character and it just worked she just worked for me so yeah i was i was all in I do really like how the character is written. And you make such a good point because even Veronica Park is not the heroine of Secret Life, My Secretary, right? She's the second lead female character. So she's allowed to be as like wacky as she wants because you have this archetypal, shy, struggling, every woman kind of female lead. But here it is very unique that they've made the actual heroine like this. I think it's just that her performance was a little bit too dialed up for my own taste and it's totally Probably. your own taste thing right like and also I, it came it came without any context initially like we couldn't yeah. figure out why she's so high drama now it seems as if her high drama is armor that she wears when she goes into battle and Absolutely. in that courthouse in that first episode she was battling her own father that high, that armor was necessary mm-hmm. so she absolutely can do mellow moments she can do and and what I, okay again my favorite moment with child was when she's in jail and she's totally not worried because she has already figured out that Song Jung Ki's character Vincenzo is mafia, but she just hadn't said it. So she's like, I'm tired of acting stupid. So can you just admit that you're mafia and do something about the situation? (laughs) That was so great. Is that a spoiler? It was so obvious though. Like I he like constantly says things and you're and like if she hadn't figured it out, I would have been disappointed in her, but she's a very intelligent woman, you know? Right. And I really and also I think this scene happened in the first week or two when Chayang first uh, kind of confronts Vincenzo, like, why are you hanging out my father and helping him out? And he's like, oh, um, he's talking about the building and how he has interest in the building. And she's like, so you're taking on Babel because of a building? No, there is something in there that you're more invested in. I'm like, yes, exactly. You are such a smart woman. I'm She's so very glad smart. established it really fast. <laughs> I love how she like never trusts him until she f- actually figures out what his deal is. And yeah. then she's like, okay. And then she keeps quiet about it, but she knows. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, she's amazing, yeah. I also like, I'm not going to mention what happens in episode four, but episode four is like a movie. It's, it's yeah. perfect. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's such a journey. I just want to say like, I was blown away by episode four. Agreed. Me too. So should we talk about Taekyeon? We should. But before that, I just want to say we always give credit to uh, the writer and we didn't discuss it this time. So I- I'll just mention that this is a guy, Park J. Bum, and he did uh, he wrote The Fury Priest and Chief Kim, which kind of gives you an idea where his sense of humor comes from, because you see that in Vincenzo a lot. So much of Vincenzo is about the flair of direction that I don't feel any uh, guilt for giving majority of the credit to Kim Hee-won, who's the director. But the writing is good. The dialogue is really good. No, you're right. The writing is excellent. So I just I just wanted to say, well done, male script writer, you unicorn in the industry, you. You're actually yeah. good at your job. No, you're right. Like, this is actually the reason I was excited to watch Vincenzo in the first place is because of how much I enjoyed Chief Kim. And it has that same bad guy who's going up against even badder guys kind of hero. You know, like, he's not a good person. You know, he's not a good person going in. The drama never pretends that he is a good person. He never pretends that he's a good person. But then he falls in with this like ragtag group of people 
in this new situation where he's kind of forced into this cooperative relationship with these people that he doesn't actually care about. And then slowly they basically become his family. And then by the end, you're just like sobbing because of how beautiful it is. <laughs> and it's just, like, that's what's happening here as well. And like, it's a great formula. Like, usually I'm like, oh, you're doing the same thing. But here, like, it works so well that I don't I don't care at all. And also the quirky cast of, of supporting characters. We'll come to them. But let's let's move on to Take Young. Because, oh my god, this is such an amazing casting. Can we can we do spoilers for this? Because Let's I don't say see how if you can... haven't finished episode four, maybe just skip to the next skip, section. Skip to the next drama we should talk about. Uh, go to the time zone. You'll find us talking about Hello Me. Okay, so come back now. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about Ok Tae Kyung and how, oh my god, boy, you have found the perfect role for yourself. <laughs> This is the best role of his career, honestly. I've never seen him having this much fun <laughs> in my life. Like, he's clearly so... He's just enjoying himself so much. And, like, it's it's interesting how, like, the the sort of, like, facade of this goofy um, Korean-American kid who's, like, doesn't know anything and is, like, just, like, hapless and follows Chaeyoung around like a puppy. Like, that one is also really entertaining. And then, like, the evil mastermind CEO is also entertaining. Like, they're both so interesting to watch and so fun to watch. True. And he does this flip much later on after the audience already know his true identity. He does this flip around Chaeyoung where he's being all cute and puppyish. And I'm still feeling like, oh, he's being cute and puppyish, but I know he's this evil mastermind. <laughs> How is this happening? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just really impressed with this particular character's casting. The entire cohort of villains are actually really interesting. I like that there is no, there isn't really one villain doing the entire thing. There is a villain cooperative. <laughs> <laughs> A villain co-op. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's like, they're, I like all of these characters individually. Like, I really like the CEO of uh, Wusang Law Firm. Uh, what's his name? Han Sung Hyuk. I, I really like that guy. He He's funny and he's so selfish. and But he's hilarious. And his his problem with the, you know, Taekyung's character just killing off people is not that he's killing off people but that his killing off people so blatantly might come back to them and hurt his business <laughs> right it's interesting because they're all evil in a different way like these four people yeah Han Sung Yuk, who's the CEO of the Wusang Law Firm, he's like, he wants to be evil in a way like that he doesn't really have to get his hands dirty and he can just take care of things with like money and, you know, bribes and things like that. Even if somebody gets murdered, like he doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want to know about it. Yeah, it would be like he's OK with casualty, but he's not OK with directly being involved with murder. <laughs> right. Well, as long. Well, yeah, he, it makes him nervous because he might get caught. Right. And then there's the former prosecutor, Myung Hee, who's just like, you know, just use the biggest stick to smack the problem and then it'll go away. Like she doesn't care about consequences because she's so confident in the fact that she has enough power to cover up literally anything she does. And then Taekyeon's character, Hansuk, like he just uses fear and intimidation and money. Jung Junu. Junu is his fake name. Oh, okay, okay. So oh, the real when they name find is out, Hansok. right, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Why it's super confusing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's also he has an English name, Jason. <laughs> you oh. find out later, <laughs> which was his American name. But anyway, like he just he just has this like extreme violence that's always under the surface, which he kind of like uses. He like keeps people off balance 
but you never know when he's going to flip from his like charming smile to like beating you over the head with a hockey stick until you're dead kind of thing. Uh, yeah. There's that. And then there's his brother who's just like really weak and he doesn't really have a backbone and he's just like terrified. So yeah. it's really interesting, that whole dynamic. He's terrified, but he likes to have his position of authority, which he can abuse. Right. So he's hungry for power, but doesn't have the capability of wrenching it away from his brother. So he has these thoughts of insurrection in his brain, but he doesn't know how to bring them to fruition. <laughs> right. He doesn't have the guts to be as evil as his brother does. Yeah. And with all of these characters, it's it's all self-serving motivation but in different ways and their dynamic is always shifting which I find so interesting like before Takion's character revealed his true identity to the Wusang lawyers he was being treated as an intern and it was his half-brother who was being treated as the head of Babel and now that has shifted so he's still in the law firm but his seniors know that he's the real boss so that has shifted but then now between Myung-hee and Seung-kyuk the two of them don't know who to serve, like, because Myung-hye is all in. And she's smart enough to realize that the moment this guy revealed his real identity, there was no way out. He's not going to let them get out. So yeah, you either exactly. serve me or you're dead. Exactly. So the CEO of Busan couldn't figure that out fast enough. So he, like, much later, he's like, do you think we can get out of this? And Myung-hye is like, are you kidding me? <laughs> of course we can't. Yeah. And she's fine with that. She just wants to serve the biggest boss and have the biggest stake, as you said. So yeah, I just I, I, I really, really enjoy the villains here. It's so rare to have fun villains in a drama. Because they're continuously the same people keep facing off, right? Like Vincenzo and Chaeyoung keep having these, whether it's in the courtroom or some other way, like they continuously keep having confrontations with the Babel and Wusang people. But because yeah. they continue to like keep shifting the dynamics you know, internally between the villains and then the dynamic between Vincenzo and Chaeyoung is kind of shifting. And then there's the whole dynamic between them and the people who live in the building. It's kind of always changing. So it doesn't get boring. You're not like, oh, well, it here we are again. Static. Another. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I do. I did get a little tired of like the building people wanting the gold. That's starting to <laughs> get tiring for me. That's like probably the only thing that I'm just like, oh, can we can we not do this anymore? But I wish that had happened a little later in the drama because I mean, I think it would have been fine if that had been one of the final hurdles they had to pass. Yeah. But this is too early. This is almost halfway in and the building people have figured out there's gold in the building, but they don't know where it is. And I'm like, but does it even matter? Like if the building people try to get the gold out, they'll just bring the building onto themselves. <laughs> so it's not like they can ever actually get it. <laughs> and they are essentially powerless compared to someone as rich and connected as Vincenzo. He can actually really drive them out and demolish the building in the middle of the night, take the gold out. He, it's the fact that his humanity has uh, kind of woken up and he's trying not to be an asshole that's keeping him from basically killing all of them and taking the gold. Yeah. So it's it's not really a challenge so much as it's um, annoyance. Yeah, and that conflict would still be there even if they didn't know because it's a conflict between him sacrificing them for the gold versus like trying to protect them and make sure they're okay and take the gold. They don't need to know about the gold in order for him to have that conflict, right? And if anything, them knowing about the gold is making him more annoyed at them and like angry I and he like is caring it. less about them. 
<laughs> I, I absolutely love that like as soon as they confess to him they're like well there's gold and you know what we'll give you a tiny share but so like help us find it and he's like ah and then he he's turning around he's like Achha, so like the gold probably belongs to someone why is it yours and one of them is like haha find us keepers and he goes out and he's like how dare they who do they think they are <laughs> like oh poor boy <laughs> but yeah I mean I wish they hadn't done that. But anyway, it's not, that's it's not like a really big annoyance. What is what is really tickling me right now is that there are so many people with secret identities in this building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every week you find out that somebody has like a secret past as like a a martial artist or like an MMA fighter or like a gang member or something that's just like taking people out. I haven't watched enough, uh, uh, like uh, as many episodes have come out, but the the pawn shop or couple, the husband especially, who keeps saying that I'm an amazing martial artist and then keeps not being able to do anything. Do you think he might actually be like a North Korean defector? Because I don't know who his character is supposed to be. So but- there is this scene... When they're in Vincenzo's apartment, remember, and those people show up and they like beat them up where you see his ear. They're really good. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that. To my knowledge, that ear, like what happens is like when you're when you're like a wrestler or a boxer or something, because your ear is constantly um, sort of like rubbed against the floor. That's why you develop that. Like, I think they call it like cauliflower ear or something. So I think he used to be like an MMA fighter or like a boxer or something. And that he accidentally hurt someone really badly and maybe he has like a criminal record or something which is why his wife is always like stop just don't use your skills so like that's why he has such a like i'm the best I'm the, and then but he like he's really hesitant to actually use his skills so that's my theory yeah. i don't know maybe maybe no, that's actually a really good theory but but because sisyphus was on my mind part of me was like, wait, wait is this a reference to sisyphus's you know half-formed humans who come back to the past and they have like weird ears and weird lips oh no, no i don't think that's <laughs> Because that would, I don't know, kind of start infringing on like intellectual property there. But um, okay, so yeah, the MMA uh, theory actually makes a lot more sense because I'm very confused about his identity. And the the other, the CIA one, oh, I was, I was crying. It was so funny when he came to rescue Vincenzo. With his coat. I mean, I'm a little conflicted because I'm like, why do I love this intelligence agent so much? Like, intelligence agents are not good people, but he's adorable. He's adorable and he's, like, basically in love with Vincenzo. (laughs) Oh, that's what it was. That me, me and my sister were like, this is really, the Italian thing is breaking down here because there's that one scene where he's like, can I have a hug? And Vincenzo's all like, oh no, a man. I can't hug a man. I'm like, Italians wouldn't be like that. Italians don't, they're not, like, weird about, like, hugging and kissing other men like that's not a thing so then I was like yeah he's not a real Italian but we were just <laughs> laughing about that but yeah he's he is disturbingly adorable for it for oh an NIS God. agent and also his uh, dynamic with his boss where his boss is like this is not our problem we have other things other matters to take care of and he's like but please please let me do this let me help with Chenzo and he gets all puppy and pleading and his boss is like fine Go do your thing. <laughs> and that's just like, it's so weird. It's just that they're all adorable. I don't know how they're doing it, but they're making all of the characters so pleasing to watch on the screen. Even side characters that I thought would have absolutely no effect on the plot whatsoever, like that piano teacher in the building. 
suddenly her characters become like one of the smarter tenants <laughs> and she's figuring stuff out no and like she has a secret identity as a hacker right like i think that's her oh, yeah, the hacker she also right 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 she's the hacker oh yeah. my god i forgot i haven't gone got, gotten to that part yet but yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's definitely the strength of the writing because um i haven't seen the fiery priest but definitely in chief kim it was really an ensemble piece because every yeah. character had something very interesting or you know like in the, the beginning you're like oh this is just a comic relief character and then like 10 episodes later it comes back as something really interesting and very sort of tied into the plot and you know it matters so like there's no detail that is just sort of there for no reason which is really Completely. great and I think one of the first moments when we realize that these side characters are not just throwaway characters is when Vincenzo does that whole thing where he's basically planned an attack on the tenants, but he's also planted fake tenants to get beaten up so that the real tenants don't get involved. But then they get involved and they royally beat up the goons. And so everybody ar- arrives to find that the tenants are victorious over hardened criminals. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, so this is what they're going to do with these guys. They, they are not going to be hapless tenants just to be like shooed away when the time comes. This is just so much more interesting. Yeah. And in the beginning, when he first gets to the building, you're like, oh, you know, this is like a building that's basically on its last legs. It's about to be demolished. Everyone here is kind of uh, an outcast from society. And you, you just assume that they're just like, losers you know like that they couldn't make it they couldn't but then like the more you get to know them the more it's like oh they're actually like outcast on purpose like they're all like hiding from something or like hiding from their past or they're keeping things low-key because they don't you know so that's really interesting as well yeah exactly i wanted to like before we move on i wanted to talk about two things one is the ethics of this story (laughs) initially i couldn't figure out how they were going to I still honestly haven't completely figured this out. Like, what is Vincenzo's redemption going to be? Because he hasn't actually repented anything. This is a character who's been involved in deaths. He can justify them by saying, I've only ever killed villains. But he's involved, he's been directly involved in deaths and not just deaths of mafia people, but like we know that, for instance, he ordered the death of the people who built the safe under the building. So that only he and his Chinese connection the the guy who owned the gold and uh mr che mr cho um would be the ones to know about it so this is a guy with blood on his hands in Mm -hmm. numerous situations and i i'm not comfortable just like uh poo-pooing that and and not talking about it because he's so charismatic it's easy to forget that he has blood on his hands but he does and it's not like he's shown at, at one point, I suppose he had a nightmare. I, I, he keeps having these dreams about dead people. But I think that might have something to do with him directly, like in, in terms of how somebody in his family suffered or something. I don't think he's having moral uh, crunchiness. He seems very clear about the way he thinks justice should be served. There is that conversation that he and Chayong have with this really honest prosecutor. But the prosecutor is like, why don't you trust me? Um, let me take over this case and I'll, I'll do this. And both Chayong and this guy, Vincenzo, are like, well, you are honest, yes. But the system is rotten that you're in. So even if you try your best, it'll probably not see justice. So we'll do it our way. So he his thinking is very colored by his life as a lawyer for the mafia. And that hasn't changed in any way, despite Chayong's father kind of trying to 
explain to him why staying on the right side of the law is something he should be doing. And that was also a problem between Chaeyoung and Chaeyoung's dad, right? Because Hong Yoo-chan, uh, which was uh, her dad, had very definite ideas that justice should be one within the system and not outside the system. Like he did not agree with the whole avenging thing. But Chaeyoung has gone full score at this point. She has been pretty much directly involved in the deaths of people in like really, really, really bad people. But she has been involved in that. Once you cross that line, how do you come back to practicing normal law after all of this is over? Like, I'm seeing like some tectonic shifts in ethics here. And I don't see how they are going to bring it back to any kind of normal morality. Yeah, a part of what you're saying is just the problem with any kind of vigilante quote unquote heroism where I mean, it's the same with like things like Batman. Right. And there's a reason why Batman is not supposed to be allowed to kill people or like not in the Snyder films, but, in, <laughs> you know, like traditional Batman, like he doesn't actually kill anyone. He just beats them up and then he ties them up and he leaves. So it's like there's that line with vigilantism. And she also says we're not going to kill anyone, although there's a scene later where it does seem like they've killed some people. So I don't know if we're going to come yeah, back. Yeah, they most definitely have. Yeah. And what really disturbed me, kind of, if you're talking about having moral themes that you want to really stick to, is after they were complicit in killing these three assassins who have murdered numerous people, so it's not like they were innocent. However, after they kill these three, Chaeyoung and Vincenzo are having makoli and staying up late and having romantic moments. And it's... Yeah, the, it's they're those not really deaths. Dealing. Don't yeah. really have any weight. And it was weird to me because after I saw that, I was like, oh, maybe we're going to find out later that they didn't actually kill them. Maybe they just like, I don't know what. I don't know what. But like, it's it seems like they did actually kill them, you know, like so then I'm just I don't know. Like on one hand, we have this kind of modern idea that no matter what, it's never OK to kill someone, which, you know, I think in past centuries, humans were like, if you kill someone, you should be killed kind of thing. I think that's a change in how a lot of our societies have like just view the idea of like how you should be punished for murdering someone. But like you said, they're not within any kind of system. So it's totally based on whether they think these people deserve to die or if they deserve to be, you know, let to live. And I don't know if the drama is going to deal with that at any point. I do slightly disagree with you about how he's not or he hasn't shown any kind of conflict about his past because the reason that he isn't going to stay in Korea is because he doesn't feel like like he has basically sentenced himself to exile in a place that he doesn't know right like he's just going to go and live and I mean he's going to like take lots of money so it's not like he's going to be suffering but he has decided and a lot of it is like unspoken which is kind of his character. So we don't know a lot about like his internal life, which I hope we get to know more about that with time. But like he has that conversation with the um, with the Sunim, the the Buddhist monk, right? Where he's like, how can I, what, what he said, like, how can I let go of my anger or like the, yeah. the ugliness that's in my heart? Like if I leave, will that take care of it? And he's like, you can't leave and take care of it. It's going to go with you wherever you go. You have to deal with it. So I don't think he's like totally removed from any type of, reckoning with his past but you're right that it's not really something that we're privy to and the drama hasn't spent much time on it at all and it is a little concerning how enjoyable all of this is and how much fun we're having you know and like right now it's okay because they're taking down like extremely evil people and 
I feel conflicted because like they decided not to kill Hansuk and just take him down using the law. But like they know exactly what kind of person he is and that he's probably going to like kill lots of people. Yeah. So in that situation, isn't it better to just kill him? I know this isn't like in line with our modern, you know, democratic principles or whatever. But like if you're just looking at it from a sense of like, okay, the system is rotten and we're dealing with things and trying to get justice outside of this system where like literally all the prosecutors except one are corrupt and you're you're, there's no way that you're going to get all the judges are corrupt. Like you're never going to you know, they're just going to buy off people left and right or just kill them. Isn't it better to just like cut off the head of this monster before it kills so many more innocent people like that you've like the the blood count on this company's hands and with Usang like it's horrifying like how many people have we seen them kill so yeah I just like why was it okay for them to kill those assassins but they're gonna keep letting Jung Hansuk live like it just doesn't make any sense to me exactly so I'm I'm not entirely sure that they have the moral play sorted out in their own heads Mm. but I'm willing to let the drama tell its full tale until the very end. But this is something that I'm closely watching because it's it's been catching me up since practically the first episode. Because when, oh, by the way, just, I need to, they never address this. But how many of those lighters does Vincenzo have? He keeps flipping them I know, away right? as he, as he burns yeah, does them Does he have like down. a box somewhere <laughs> where he can just like keep getting new ones? Like it's it's like his thing that he always carries. So he, obviously he can't just like get rid of it, right? But he has, he always has one. He keeps tossing them. <laughs> <laughs> what is with that? So the first time he does that whole toss thing and walk away, very cool. But then is it like a boomerang? Does it come right back <laughs> to him? He burns down that vineyard and dude, once you start a fire, there's no way of stopping it. How does he know he's not burning down other people's vineyards after? Like, it's not like he can go around making sure that there is a, I don't know, a deep trench that's dug around this awful person's vineyard and only his plants are going to die. He has absolutely no problem destroying other and also there could be people in other people's fields you could have accidentally killed i'm see i understand that the coolness of it all does not allow us to think too much about the practicalities but if that is how he does his vengeance then i have a problem with it yeah no i agree like they like they show the people in the house running away but like who knows who's who else is in in those grounds like there could be like random innocent gardeners that are just like checking on the the vines and the trees and they're just die like they wouldn't have time to run away i know i so i don't really understand um what this guy's morality is and the thing is if he's having internal conflict the only internal conflict i've seen in vincenzo is his conflict about whether or not to acknowledge his mother and forgive her for abandoning him but your mother abandoned you as a what nine ten year old and then you got brought up by an extremely rich mafia overlord I'm sorry, but all your moral problems cannot be blamed on that mother's abandonment. You're a grown-ass man. No, and also, he probably did have a nicer life than he would have had with her. Like, Of course he did. Yeah, so, I mean, she's not unjustified. Like, she literally thought she was going to die. And she's accepted an unfair sentence and she's given up on life because she feels so damn good. How much more punishment do you want her to go through? Okay, but... Moving on from that, that is the only conflict, internal conflict that I've really seen in Vincenzo's. I haven't seen enough, or maybe they'd address it in the next few episodes, but like the progressive romance between Chayong and Vincenzo, which I find adorable. And can they please move a bit faster on that? I really want to see them <laughs> together. <laughs> but 
Vincenzo knows what his past is and he knows perfectly well that at some point if his crimes catch up to him, it may very well land him up in jail or even back in Italy, deported. But he he's put this line between the two of them saying that I'm going to leave after this and that mm-hmm. is the only line he's maintaining. Aside from that, there's pretty much nothing else. They're flirting constantly and it's so cute. But just like, it's not even a matter of I don't deserve your love because I have done things in the... He, he seems to be pretty proud of his mafia life. Like he keeps saying how the mafia is great and they don't do bad stuff anymore. They just, you know, all the fighting is between mafia families. Sure, sure. Okay, sure. That's not a lie at all. (laughs) And all the narcotics that you're dealing with and all the money that you're extorting from the citizens, I guess none of that really hurts anyone. I did find it a little rich how he was like, oh, they're going to cause people to become drug addicts. I was like, you? You're saying this? (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. So again, as I said, the morality of this drama leaves me very confused. But the drama of this drama is just so, so, so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely the the drama that is like I was going through really stressful times when I started watching this. And it was just such a huge catharsis to watch. And, And I think that's part of the enjoyment of a drama like this, right? Like you're watching someone who doesn't have all the same lines that we would go up against really evil people and just kind of like doing stuff that in real life you wouldn't ever want someone to do. But it's so satisfying to just see them doing this stuff, you know, like because Vincenzo is he can do things that you wouldn't want someone to do in real life. And like, it's really enjoyable because these people absolutely deserve it and they deserve more. Yeah, true. And especially when the legal system has failed you over and over again. And not just the legal system, but the judicial system, your government, all of them have basically come together to ensure that you could never get justice. Yeah. And has ground you down to have someone like Vincenzo come and say, hey, we're going to burn down the warehouse of the evil person who's killed your family member. You want to help? Yeah, totally. I I can see how this would be absolutely super satisfying for, you know, someone in that situation. So, yeah, it's it's amazing to have a hero with that kind of um, low moral bar. (laughs) And I mean, I think that I mean, we don't know where it's going to go eventually, but we do have, you know, it's 20 episodes. We have quite a ways to go. And this you can only use a devil to drive out another devil is basically like the thesis statement of the drama. It's in the opening credits like He constantly says it. So they're very much acknowledging that he is a devil. So I think it'll be interesting how they deal with that aspect of his character. I'm hoping that they do a good job. I I agree. I I just say one last thing before we get out of this. I thought uh, initially, because he was, after all, operating under this uh, fake persona of just being this normal lawyer from Italy. He's, He's just super harmless dude. And I thought at one point, people around him will start finding out that he was part of the mafia. And then the way, like, they look at him admiringly now because he's helped them out. But then they are going to start looking at him with fear or with distrust. And that is going to be the challenge that he faces like to win them over like his repentance will be questioned like his character will be no none of that people around him find out he's mafia and they're like mafiosa and they're all like throwing him parties and stuff and I'm like okay I, now I give up I just completely give up I don't care I'll, I'll, I'll just watch this drama because it's fun and stop trying to find like deep meaning <laughs> <sighs> okay 
Yeah, we spent way too long on this, but I think we're just we're just really loving this drama. Yeah, so we, it, yeah, it shows. It's and um, I, we'll probably talk about this later again in our uh, other yak or something. But it's a good watch, guys. <laughs> you have our stamp of approval. <laughs> yes, if you have not started watching it because of the super long episodes, which I was kind of hesitant to start it for that reason, you don't feel the length. You know, no, it's so enjoyable. It doesn't feel slow. Like, sorry to compare it unfavorably to Sisyphus again <laughs> for, you know, people who are loving Sisyphus. But it really like I felt Sisyphus dragging and I would be like checking how much time was left. And with Vincenzo, I'm like sad when it's over. I'm like, oh, yeah. no, it's over. And I don't have any more Vincenzo to watch this week. So, yes, it's it's a really fun ride. Completely. All right. The next drama we talk about is Hello Me, our what was the other alternate title which I found? Oh, were- hello, it's me. Hello, it's me. Um, okay, no, that doesn't make it much better. <laughs> I mean, the literal <laughs> title is "Hello, it's me," but the English official English title is "Hello, me." Yeah, it it just sounds really cool in in Korean because you're kind of like um, kind of saying hello to yourself instead of just introducing yourself. So it's that's that slight distinction. So this drama, Anisa, are you up to date with the episodes? No, I've only watched episode twelve. I have not watched the last. I think it's up to 16 now. Yeah, because this is the final week. So it's it's probably already out. Yeah, it's yeah. finished. I have only watched till I think episode 10 at this point. Um, I have some catching up to do. So I wanted to start by saying that this drama is about a lot of different things. Of course, you, you have your older self facing the hopes and ambitions of your younger self. That's like the primary theme here. But you also have like familial relationships and you have, you know, your self-image, plenty of themes. But the thing that really struck a chord with me in the episodes that I've watched is how much of this drama is just about grief. The grief of losing someone you loved so dearly and how different family members react differently to that grief. And in case of our heroine, Banhani, she lost her father when she was 17. She was indirectly responsible for his accident and that is something she couldn't forgive herself for. So she spent like the next 20 years of her life denying herself anything she wanted because she mm. saw her ambition as like the most selfish thing ever. But I also have to say this, the more I saw of her family, like her, not her mom, her mom is super supportive. I'm sure she never blamed her daughter for a minute. But her sister, can you imagine having an older sister who already felt jealous of you and resented you? And your older sister loved your dad as much as you loved her, loved him. And then now she not only resents you for the arrogance of your youth, but also blames you directly for your father's death. Anytime Banhani, in my head, like I imagine Banhani trying to do something she wants to. And then I imagine her sister looking at her being like, you're being your old self again. And when she says that you're being your old self again, she's talking about that old self that got our father killed. Her sister is the worst. This is totally the worst. And she's, she, the woman is an adult. She should really grow up at this point. But it's, I can see how having a family member like that who already resented you to begin with to turn your entire 17 year old character into a villain so that if you show even the tiniest spark of confidence, she looks at you and acts like you are an evil thing and that you are shameless after having killed your father because that is how I imagine their entire dynamic. That is how it has seemed to me over and over again in the last 10 episodes and I find it so claustrophobic to watch them together. Yeah. I just have to get that out. Yeah, not only does she blame her and 
and all of what you said, which I agree with 100%. But also look at the positions they have in life now. Like, okay, now she's just started working at this food company and she finally has like a full-time job. But before that, she was like this, you know, abused temp worker at a grocery store where she has like a really pretty demeaning job. And her sister is like really wealthy. She has a really smart son that she's very proud of. She married the guy that she was always in love with. Sure, like she had an unplanned pregnancy and she ended up getting married, but she seems happy with her husband. You know, like she has a beautiful home. She literally is like using her sister for like as a housemaid, like that dynamic. Yeah. yeah, like where she lives in her house and she's like basically their their servant. You know, like just the way she was like shrunk into herself and made small and how she had to live like that. Yeah. It really made me hate the sister. And like also, if you're a human being with any sense of compassion, think about how it must feel that you you feel responsible for the, the death of the person that you love the most, you know? But yeah. she has no sense of that. She doesn't care. It's all about her and how Honey took her dad away. Like she doesn't ever think about how like oh she also lost her dad and also she feels responsible for his death how bad no, no, no. must she, she feel she doesn't even occur to her sister like Mm-mm. there is this one confrontational scene outside that police station where she's like you took my dad away what else will you take it's entirely about the older sister she doesn't even register that she's saying my dad as if like he was her possession and honey is just this random possible bite right yeah just a random (laughs) girl who just like took him out with a sniper rifle yeah it's it's ridiculous but yeah so i have a lot of hostility for that dynamic i see it and i know it's very realistic and i feel so so sad for one honey because she she had to live in that yeah that horrible situation and again i i also understand like her mom is so great i really like her mom like she is this independent taxi driver she has to deal with like sexist passengers she also has to take care of uh, a, a mother-in-law who has dementia and she has a lot on her plate. So taking care of Vanhani couldn't have been her priority at that point, especially if her daughter has decided that I will no longer be ambitious and I'll just be, a, I don't know, a, a lowly aunt yeah. for the rest of my life. And also, I don't know if you've gotten to this point yet, but like there's a point where the sister and the mom talk about how basically what she was doing the year or two after her dad's accident. I haven't seen that yet. So tiny spoiler, but basically it's not anything surprising. Like she was taking antidepressants and she didn't leave the house for like two years. And you can Mm -hmm. see in that conversation. And also there's another conversation where her mom's like, you know, this wasn't your fault. Why are you still like, just let go of it. You know, like I told you. And you can see in that small little interaction that they have that her mom has never blamed her. And she's always kind of been heartbroken about Honey blaming herself. So I love how the drama sort of creates the sense of history with the family where like, you know, like you said, you can imagine how the dynamic has been these last 20 years because they've given us enough character details where it's it feels so real and we can totally see like what what this family dynamic has been this whole time. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is having her 17 year old self from the moment right before the accident, like having that contrast of like who she used to be and who she became is so um, really poignant and like sad. And um, and it's really beautiful to see them, you know, growing close and for older honey to kind of 
regain a lot of her lost confidence and for the younger one to be like, okay, she's like annoying brat. But at the same time, she really encourages her to have confidence in herself and how, yeah, that whole dynamic is beautiful. So even though like in a lot of ways, it's a very fluffy over the top kind of silly drama, it has such a big heart and it's a very genuine and sincere and like emotionally honest, uh, authentic heart. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I really love this show. There is one other character that I have... I really like her, but I also have a tiny bit of dislike for how she treated Hani. So 17-year-old Hani, she's just lost her dad. She's in the hospital and she's clearly depressed. And her best friend, who was kind of like a like almost a follower, she looked up to Hani, uh, Ji-yoon, oh Ji-yoon. She comes in and she is nagging Hani to come back to school. And Hani yells that like you don't even know what it's like to lose a father because you're an orphan. A bad thing to say. But Oji Yoon hasn't recently lost her parents. She lost her parents when she was young. She lives with her grandmom. Whereas Hani has just lost her father and she blames herself for it. So for Oji Yoon to cut Hani out of her life after that, and then 20 years later to look at Hani and be like, yeah, she's just as selfish as ever. I was just fuming at how bad Oji Yoon was to Hani when Hani first joined her office. Because the way office structures work, your colleagues will see how your boss is treating you. And especially when it's it's a recruit who hasn't been recruited through normal processes, but has kind of been parachuted mm-hmm. in like Hani. Everybody's looking at her, trying to figure out how they should treat her. And OJ Yoon's behavior was giving cues to her colleagues to behave badly with her. Yeah, Hani won them over. But why should she have had to do that to begin with? It was completely OJ Yoon's responsibility to make sure that Hani was treated well by her colleagues. Instead, she kept treating Hani like she should have come with full marketing knowledge and how dare she not already know her job. That was OJ Yoon's responsibility to, to teach her. I was just so frustrated with the dynamic because I liked OJ Yoon. I liked Kim Yumi's portrayal of OJ Yoon. She is in a... She is... Married to such a wonderful man. She's actually a really decent human being. She's a really great woman. But her childhood insecurities turned her into such a raging bitch. (laughs) I do. I mean, I kind of agree with you. But I do understand her resentment because like maybe we can see why Hani got that job. But nobody else on that team can understand why she got that job, right? So if you were like, you were suddenly had this team member who like knows nothing about the job that they're supposed to be doing and who you think totally got the job for favoritism and like nepotism reasons. um, And then it's also the person that you have like an uncomfortable past with. I can understand her having a weird reaction to that. Like, I I know what you mean. And I agree that she should have behaved better. um, But I kind of like that she's an imperfect person and she and she's like, she has weaknesses and and I think also the part of that that I can understand is how much pressure she's under from her mother-in-law to like be perfect all the time but not to be too successful because then that shows up her son so she is under a lot of stress and the other thing is that like they have a really great scene like a really great reconciliation scene which um I love you do so. I, and I love that reconciliation scene but I was thinking what does it say about their childhood friendship they were apparently besties and they loved each other a lot as, she, as as teenagers. So when the grown-up Ojiyun thinks of younger Hani, why does she only remember her as this overconfident 
you know, girl who wanted to be the center of attention. Why does she not remember the finer points of her best friend? The only reason that would be is because her own insecurities were so deep that she didn't see Hani as a friend so much as she saw Hani as a aspirational figure that she was allowed to be close to and that her insecurities really run that deep yeah. which she hasn't gotten over even as an adult so it on one way well done writer for giving me this full character but on the flip side i'm really mad at her <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not as mad at her as you because i appreciate what they did with the writing but i i get that yeah but I like how none of the women in this drama are perfect and they all have their flaws. That's that's, that's really totally true. The only the only person who's perfect in that she's perfectly evil is the mother-in-law. Oh god. <laughs> that's I hate she, her so much. <laughs> what she's just so annoyingly evil. Oh my god. She's like a little bit mustache twirlingly evil. Like it's it's a <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Oh, we haven't talked about the male lead at all. No, we haven't. And uh, he needs a mention because uh Kim Young Kwan was I liked him in um, Secret Life of My Secretary, but I have to say I really like him here. He just has no ego whatsoever. He just, he has a short attention span, but he's like really passionate about stuff. So he keeps hopping from hobbies to hobbies until his father does that whole ultimatum thing, which initially I was kind of like feeling really angry at the father about because that that is not the kind of parenting that um, I'm down with. But it makes sense in this guy's character. He's 30 years old, hasn't figured out what he wants to do with his life. And his dad is like, I'm about to go blind. My son really needs to figure out his life fast. Yeah, now that we know that there's like a ticking sort of deadline to all this, I understand why he took such drastic measures by just like kicking him out and being like, work for 100 days, whatever. (laughs) Um, I like what you said about his character not having any ego, because at first I was like, isn't this just the same thing that he did in Secret Life, my secretary? You know, he's like a table heir. He needs to step up. He needs to take over the company, whatever. He's very charming. He's puppyish. He's cute. He's got a great smile. He wears a lot of nice coats. Although he doesn't wear the three-piece suits in this one <laughs> that I really enjoyed in uh, in Lookout and also in uh, The Secret Life of My Secretary. But you're so right about how lacking in malice he is. Like, he's so... He's a very pure kind of person. And, like, part of that is just the privilege of being rich your whole life. But he's just, like, a very... Like, he's a soft boy. Like, he's very... He's like a marshmallow. Yeah. And he hasn't really... Even though he's been bullied in the past or whatever, but, like, you know... Superman saved him. (laughs) He's never like lost his optimism and his like rose colored glasses. And I think he's going to lose those soon when he finds out what his aunt is doing. But up until now, he's just been so sunshiny and like, like he just carries this glow around with him. And so it's really lovely to see him with honey because she has no glow. Like all the glow has been like, it's like when it's like, you know, those um, cartoon characters that just has like a cloud and it's raining on their head. And they're just like walking around with that cloud above their head. Like that's basically her at the beginning of this drama. Um, And it's so nice to see him just like attach himself to her in a really non creepy way. Um, Like the other guy is creepy. What's his face? Oh my God, Anthony. Yeah. I don't like him, but the way he just is like slowly trying to get close to her. And then at a certain point, he's like, uh, just notice that I'm interested in you. That's all. I just want you to notice. And she's like, uh, and like he knows she's not ready. And so he doesn't push. He just kind of sticks around and he helps her and he like makes her smile and he does things for her in a non guilt trippy, manipulative way. He just kind of does things 
that she needs without making her feel burdened, you know, which I love. I know he's you know what he is. He is the second lead of the past eras made into like the final hero version. I I really like him because of that. I think in romance, they call these cinnamon roll heroes. Really? I I think in romance novels, they do. Yeah. It totally makes sense. I mean, we've been talking about the rise of the beta heroes for a while now, and uh, Han Yoo Hyun is is it in this? This is this is totally a guy who is who has no. He never feels threatened by. It's not just the success of, a, of of the woman he's with, but by her age, by the fact that she has like a full grown daughter almost by the like he never questions his feelings in those contexts. He's oh, well, I like this woman. And even though she's Jumma for him, like from the get go, it's it's like he sees her initially as someone who's nice to him when he was having a hard time. And then he sees her as the girl who saved him when he was a little boy and now he kind of idolizes her and it's his feelings go from the one to the other and then finally to a more romantic kind of feeling and you can see the progression and you can see that he he sees it and he just rolls with it he never mm. stops and is like oh our social status oh she's so much older than me oh my god she has a child oh my god none of those things even like they they never cloud his you know yeah he's head. just like Oh, do I like her? Oh, I like her. Okay, let's move to the next step. You know, like he just like recognizes feelings. He accepts them. He moves on. You know, he takes action. Yeah. I think also I like how, you know, like we've been thinking a lot about bullying um, and the portrayal of bullying in dramas lately. And I really appreciate that we're shown so early on that the second lead was a bully. And I think for that reason, he's never seen as a viable candidate for her feelings. Whereas if you look at something like Boys Over Flowers, literally she falls in love with her tormentor, right? Like yeah. literally she ends up with the person who bullied her and, you know, did all these horrifying things to her. And and that like turn away from making the bully and like sometimes even, you know, like a sexual predator making them into the hero yeah. and then being like, no, that disqualifies you. Ex- exactly. This is not what I want. I want the non-toxic man, you know, like that. I really <laughs> love that. I completely agree. This is basically the hero of the yesteryear made, as you said, non-viable at a second lead. At a second lead who's dismissed so early on. Mm-hmm. Like he's been dismissed in childhood. Not even, it's yeah, childhood. he's not even the second lead. He's like a ridiculous figure who has delusions that he might actually one day gain her feelings. Right. It's great. And also, I really like younger Hani's dynamic with both these adult men because she has she has known how what these adult men were as children and she views them both as like snot-filled boys. Like she has no interest and she does not want them hanging around her older self. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and they're and they're like totally in her in this palm of her hand because they're like, oh no, like we can't piss her off because then her mom won't like us. So they just like I do know. everything she wants. <laughs> and also like Anthony remembers like the younger honey. Um and he was afraid of her then, so he's also afraid of her now. It's great. Uh I know. It's I, I really, really like the entire cast. Even though, honestly, the entire story could have been told without Anthony ever being present. But I just, I, I guess the only thing I like about his presence is the is the dynamic he has with the younger honey. Because, as you said, he's so scared of her. And that's great. It's hilarious. <laughs> is there anything else you want to say about this one? 
No, I'm looking forward to finishing it. I think the reason I stopped at the end of episode 12 and just got busy, well, I got busy with other things, but also like there's the, you know, the angst it kind of hit. And then I was like, I'm just going to wait until a few more episodes come out. So I'll probably just like watch the last four episodes in a row so that I don't have to like spend time with the angst. Yeah. But yeah, I I have faith that this is going to end well. Uh, although maybe I shouldn't because of past experience, but I do. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. And I guess we'll report back once we finish it. That we will do. So I wanted to talk about an older drama that I watched recently, and that's Go Back Couple, which I've heard about for a long time, and it was always kind of on my list. And then if you read my most recent drama, Edict Diary, I talked about how I was looking for a drama to watch with my grandmother and my sister, and we went through like a few episodes of Hotel de Luna and none of us, we were just like, this is slow and boring. We don't want to watch it. And it was like a little too scary for my grandmother. And then we tried the Uncanny Counter. My grandmother was like, this is way too gory for me. (laughs) And then we eventually landed on Go Back Couple and we all loved it. It was perfect. It's just a lovely, you know, it's like 12 episodes. It's a really tightly written story. Um, If you haven't seen it, it's about a couple who get divorced and then they suddenly find themselves back in their college days right around the time when they first met and then obviously both of them are just like you ruined my life I don't want to see you I'm not going to get together with you but they have a child in you know the future time so that obviously adds a level of like grief and sadness to like if they never get together again he won't exist right and then also like they kind of have to work through their feelings about what happened and their dreams, the dreams that they had when they were, you know, 20 years old and how things turned out for them. I think it's like 19 years later or 18 years later was just like what they time travel back to. And there's also the whole element of how she has lost her mom in the intervening years. And it's like best mom, Kim Young, who plays her mom. So her going back to her young self and seeing her mom again, like, aww. Oceans of tears, honestly, like it was it was so beautiful, like it was so beautiful. I that part was is really, really touching. And just it was really it's really great exploration of like who you think you're going to be when you're young and who you become. And then the second chance at not only looking at your own life, but, you know, they have this group of friends and the group of friends is also going through their own struggles and, you know, their journey. And then they but they know what ended up happening with their friends, too. Right. So then they're like, should we give them advice? Should we try to, you know, like interfere in this? Should we just like stay back and let things progress as they would have normally? So yeah, it's really beautifully done. The leads are played by Jang Nara and Sono Jun. And the second lead that kind of falls in love with Jang Nara's character is played by Jang Kyung. And I just felt so bad <laughs> for him. He was such a pajada. Like I just wanted him to like be happy. Like I didn't want her to be with him because she was never interested in him. But he was just like, I was like, oh, so I, I would like to see him and I, I think I should go watch like Come and Hug Me or something. I think he's the lead in that. But yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to that drama. I know I'm watching it super late because I think it came out in like 2017, but I highly recommend it. Um, it's a perfect length, which, you know, I'm always about the 12 episode dramas. So yeah, it was beautiful. It was lovely and like it was a perfect ending. You know, I cried the right amount. I laughed the right amount. So yeah. I've been thinking about watching this drama for a pretty long while. So this is good. This is like timely. I'll probably end up taking it up sometime this year. It's a perfect like easy binge, you know, like because it's not too long, you could watch it pretty quickly, but it's not a stressful watch. Like there aren't really cliffhangers. So you can just kind of relax and enjoy, you know, it's all about the character, you know, interactions and the character's development. So 
Yeah. It actually sounds a lot like um, the Ido Hyun drama. Was that 18 again? It has similar vibes. Similar warm family and kind of uh, sort of reevaluating who you want to be kind of vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The next drama that we wanted to talk about and the last one for this episode is A Love So Beautiful, uh, the Korean version that released in 2020. Uh, there was a Chinese version that I had watched a couple of years back and I had quite enjoyed it, but it retained some of the problematic aspects of the original archetype of this story. This story, Anissa can tell you like the drama that it started with. I think the first one I watched was Playful Kiss. The iteration of the story that I had watched, the earliest one was probably Playful Kiss. And after that, I more recently watched a different iteration, also a Chinese drama. And while we are talking about this, I look up what version that one was. I had mentioned it in one of the yaks where I was talking about how it also followed a young couple. The girl has a huge crush on this genius boy and his ambition kind of drives her to become a better version of herself. So I really like that aspect of this whole storyline. But in in that particular Chinese drama, what they had done was the girl used to have a darker skin. And as she grew up and started using certain products, she would become fairer. Mm -hmm. So I had talked about that in one of our yaks. Anyway, so even though they didn't keep these kind of problematic stuff in this, like in, in the Chinese, A Love So Beautiful, the male protagonist was still a massive jerk. And what I absolutely loved about the Korean version was that our genius male protagonist in this drama, uh, Cha Hyun, is not a jerk. He's quiet, he's reserved, but he's not a jerk. Like he doesn't neg, he doesn't gaslight the heroine, which is something that the the Chinese version had the hero do constantly to the girl. And I had so much... Yeah, go on. <laughs> so is this actually so was the Chinese A Love So Beautiful actually an adaptation of the same source material? Because I thought it was not. It wasn't. So, yeah, it was essentially the same story. It's exactly it is the, essentially same story. the same story, which is why I was like, is this? But I, like I couldn't find anything. All the information I read about it wasn't saying that it was connected to It Is Her and a Kiss, which was the that was the manga. Oh, no, it no. was the so. It, it doesn't, it's not, it's the archetype that they borrowed. It's uh, not I see, exactly I see. the same thing. It used no, to okay. have these two younger kids. One of them writes a letter for to confess her love to the genius boy who ignores her. Th- those things are still in this. but And she basically th- pursues him until he reciprocates over many years. Kind of, he he, he yeah. kind of gives in. <laughs> Yeah, no, because it was so similar. I was confused about whether it was an adaptation of Itas or Anakis. It wasn't a direct adaptation. It was more like it took very recognizable tropes from that. What was it called? It started with a kiss. Yeah, started with a kiss. So it was first a manga. They turned into an anime. I think there's been like two anime adaptations. There was a Japanese drama adaptation. Um, There's a much later Japanese drama adaptation. There's a Korean adaptation. There's a Taiwanese adaptation that had two seasons, which is my favorite. Mm. Um, It's the only one that I don't hate. It started with a kiss, Taiwanese version. I I really liked it too. Yeah. I think what I loved about that one, I think I've talked about this before, is how they really went there in terms of the real emotional 
fallout and consequences of this kind of relationship and they really explored it deeply and also the two characters the actors that played leads had like on fire amazing chemistry and they were so good at doing their roles I think what I really like about this is that it removes like you said it removes a lot of the worst parts of that dynamic like there are like maybe two scenes where he's mean to her in the Korean version but in general he's just a super introvert like he he just isn't very good at saying what he feels and so he's like mostly silent yeah but you don't ever get the sense that he like hates her he just is like a robot for a lot of the drama (laughs) yeah and also in the latter in the latter half of the drama when soli is no longer pursuing him they have drifted apart they've broken up kind of he kind of he dropped the rest of the friends group because in his head they never liked him they only hung out with him because of Soji. It never occurred to him that they liked him. He just didn't yeah. keep any contact. And it makes total sense because we have figured out that this guy is someone who doesn't see himself as lovable, likable in any way. And he knows that he has value in that he is a capable, smart guy. He values that in, in himself and he sees the societal value of it. But he doesn't see himself as someone who who people would have affection for, who people Mm. would want to hang around with. And that weakness is very clear in this character, which is usually hidden under bluster and arrogance in other versions, in previous versions of uh, this character. So, and even the scenes where he's directly mean to Soe, which happens early on in the school days, it doesn't actually happen once in a relationship. Those are kind of bursts of emotions because he keeps so much in himself that he doesn't know how to deal with initial jealousy. So he ends up hitting out at Sori directly instead of figuring out this is this is I am dealing with really uh, harsh emotions and I should probably step back right now um yeah but I what I like about the drama is that the second lead Uday Sang uh, played by the actor Yoho Hyun does a really great job by the way super adorable also ends up being kind of annoyingly clingy but not as annoyingly clingy as the Chinese version <laughs> But Uday Sang... <laughs> I didn't watch the Chinese version, so I'm just going back. You know, just skip it. Amongst these two versions, this is actually the, the superior one, even though the Chinese version has better dialogues. But to stick to this, Uday Sang, I really like that they cast this character because the few moments when Kim Hyo Han's Chao Yon, that's our lead, is mean to Shin Soi, Uday Sang is there to note that meanness and to kind of like really emphasize... Like, he is more mature than Chayon in those moments. Mm. And when he looks at Chayon, it's with contempt. Like, how can you act this way to this girl? What is wrong with you, man? And that that expression is so... I love that it's there. Because somebody needs to point out that that yeah. outburst was unnecessary and immature. So speaking of the two, the male lead and the second male lead, like, I think the drama did, really did a disservice to itself in its casting. Because... What you said about Chahan's character, you know, about how he is, you know, he's struggling to keep all of his emotions inside and how like it's really hard for him to, you know, love himself and accept that other people love him. That's why it takes him such a long time to like fully be honest about his feelings with her and fully just tell her everything that's inside. But because the actor is so bad, I'm sorry, like (laughs) I'm sure he's a nice person. But he cannot act. And so and the second lead, the actor who plays the second lead is such a much better actor than him that it really felt unbalanced. You know, like I could not see any reason why she was so gone on this kid. You know, like why is she? 
I just couldn't see it. I was like, what? Like, look at this other guy. He's like more charming. He's more interesting. He like uh, does stuff for you all the time. And and then you just have this like silent guy. And then like the whole thing is like, oh, but he's so hot. But he's not even that hot. So like, I don't understand. The second lead was definitely you know, like, hot. He was like a charisma <laughs> black hole. Yeah, like he didn't have any charm or any charisma so like and he didn't have the acting skill to like show what was going on under the surface he just had like a blank face so then I just found myself increasingly frustrated by why he doesn't ever say anything you know whereas like in in the hands of a more skilled actor all the stuff that you were talking about would have come across really well and it would have been much more satisfying for me I was just there for Soli's character more than for the two guys because she's like so adorable and I loved her. Like the actress has this really sparkling personality and she brings a lot of charisma. And then also like I love the friends, like the two friends who have the the secondary romance, the yeah. um the one who wants to be a singer and the girl who's tall and like, you know, like a girl crush. She like she's really like strong and I can't remember their names now, but like their storyline was really great. I loved them. They were really funny. Ha Young and Jin Hwan. Yes. I think it was just like that friend group dynamic that I loved more than the romance. The romance was like, eh, whatever. But I loved their friend group dynamic. I liked the romance a lot because again, this trope, this archetype, because tropes just one one bit, but this this romantic archetype has been so overused and overdone. I just found these two to be so sweet and fresh and relatively unproblematic that it was a relief to watch them on the screen. And also Shinsoi, her pursuit of Chayon is very unselfconscious. Chayon doesn't ever reject her in a crushing way as previous iterations of this archetype has done because in previous versions, they just didn't regard the girl's feelings as of consequence, like in that initial phase. Mm -hmm. So insulting her in public was not a problem for them. Whereas Chayun never does that. Chayun understands from pretty early on that her feelings, while he might find her annoying, he is very clear that, hey, I don't like you. Fine. And then he moves on. It's not, he doesn't make it his mission in life to grind her down (laughs) with his horrible quips and stuff like that. It's, he's not that character. So I liked that when she is like, oh, well, you don't like me. That is totally understandable. I'm so sorry to have disturbed you. I will find another way. <laughs> and I'm like, my goodness. This and you're like, oh, Sully, that is a very 16 year old thing to do. But, you know, I do like how they actually feel like kids. Yeah, because so do. often in these high school dramas, you have these like 28 year olds roaming around in like perfectly tailored, beautiful uniforms. And you're just like, you're not a teenager. Like, I don't buy this, you know? I so agree. I did appreciate how much they felt like kids. And the other thing that they did that was super sweet was that because Chayon's entire thing is that you can't tell what he's feeling or what he's thinking. I like that towards the end, they would do those look backs on certain scenes where you would see what Chayon was actually thinking during those scenes or that the scene had cut off at a point and then they would show you what happened after that what Chayon did after that that reveals a bit more of his feelings I suppose but I was like really in the last 10 minutes of the drama he finally I don't know I was a little frustrated by that because I was frustrated by that too I like at a certain point you want to know like why am I still rooting for these two to get together right because like she does get kind of frustrated while he's like really busy and he's in medical school and she breaks up with him 
And then she's like, fine. She's happy. She has a like a great life. And you don't really know what was so great about them being together that now we were supposed to be rooting for them to like get married and, you know, be happy and live the rest of their life. Like I was like, I don't know. And then like you finally get, you know, a five minute monologue at the end where he's talking to his phone. I don't know. I just too, a little too little too late, you know? Yeah, but you know what? I never needed Chayan to admit that he liked. So he, it was very obvious from the beginning to me because he kept doing that thing. Like, there is this small montage where he's like, like he's biking to school every morning. And so he is following him on foot <laughs> or, or on a bike. And he's like, well, I would always go at my own pace and there would always be this kid following me. And eventually he started getting curious. Would she still follow me if I you know, increased my pace. And she did. She didn't just follow me. She kept pace. And no matter how fast I went, she went just as fast as me. And I just really liked that little montage because that, to my mind, showed his developing feelings. Like, not just his developing feelings, but how he perceived her. Like, she was an annoying kid initially. And eventually, she became this whole person to him whom he did not look down on as like a lesser mortal because she's not getting full A's in her <laughs> grades. You know, it's because that has always annoyed me in, in other dramas. There's one other thing, though. I liked that they stripped the idealization of the relationship in the last few episodes. They got together because they liked each other. They didn't get together because this was the OTP and they could only be happy with each other. I mean, I suppose that was kind of the message because she didn't go for the second guy. But she, as you said, she was perfectly happy. Her life was going great. And here's the other thing that I absolutely detested about a love so beautiful Chinese version. Her cartoon, uh, like her, her, her career wasn't taking off. So the guy comes back and to win her over, what he does is he kind of pays a lot of money to this <gasps> publishing house. And tells them, like, go and tell her that her, like, basically he self-publishes for her, but doesn't let her find out. So <gasps> she thinks that her work was chosen because it was so great. And when the girl does find out, she's like, you did this, you didn't have to do it. And he's like, but I did have to do it. And they make up. That's it. What? That's it. No, that's it. No, kill him with fire. Why Why would you do? Oh, oh. That's like the worst thing. Right? So the that changes. would be like an instant. Get out of my life and don't ever talk to me again. That's I, not like, oh, thanks. I would have hated oh every, like, I would have, like, he he literally invalidated her talents by doing that. Yep. <sighs> wow, that's the worst. Instead, the Korean drama, they just gave Sorry, a career, right? Like, Chayon left for America, where the heck, wherever he went. And Sorry just did went from success to success. Like she published her own stuff. She she started becoming really popular. She has her entire career established when Chaehyun comes back. She's not struggling in any way or form. She doesn't need Chaehyun. She doesn't need his support. She doesn't need anything from him. And so at that point when Chaehyun was like, I really want to get back with you. And also there is that point where he explains that when he left, he took her for granted in that he thought she would come to him. Like, because she has always chased after him. He just thought, even if I left, 
you would come to me. And then she didn't for three years. And finally, it occurred to this dunce that she's not always going to be running after him, that he would have to show the same effort. And he does. So he comes back and he properly pursues her. And I loved every bit of those episodes because, yeah. I did I did like the second half of their love story much better the last few episodes. I think I was just very exhausted by how long she had to be the only one putting any effort into the relationship and he just kind of waited for her like that thing about her like following him on foot while he's riding his bike I don't find that cute I just find it like really upsetting because he's like like he's just slowly and leisurely like riding his bike and she's like trying to run after him and keep up and he's just like oh will she follow me let me go a little faster is she gonna follow me and he never like actually expresses any of his feelings just like does them behind the scenes and I was just like oh my god this poor girl like anyone else would have gotten mad and like left a long time ago but because she's so sweet and so giving like she never gives up but I was like oh child like (laughs) oh girl like what are you doing like just focus on your own life and your talents anyway so but it it did have a nice ending and we need to wrap up so let's let's leave it there we do need to wrap up I'll just say one last thing that between the Chinese and the Korean version since I've compared them so unfavorably against the Chinese one the Chinese one has better written dialogue so they land better uh, when you compare the two of them, but it also had slightly longer runtime. They technically had the same number of episodes, but the Korean versions were much shorter and it often felt like they cut a scene in the middle and we there was more to come, but we nev- they jumped to something else in the next episode and you're like, yeah, it was sure weirdly I edited something. <laughs> there was an entire episode that was not shown to me. <laughs> but even so, I think the Korean version is a superior one. Okay, and that's it, guys. Let's wrap up. This is our episode. And thank you for listening. Oh, there's a joke. Do we do the joke or no? Oh, sure. We can do the joke. We'll just do one joke before uh, wrapping this up. Yes, go, Anissa. Yes. Okay, so my uh, niece and nephew actually came to me and were like, we have jokes for your podcast. So I have written (laughs) down their jokes, um, which is amazing. Um, So this is for my niece, Lena. Why is a cheetah so bad at hide and seek? So bad at hide and seek? Because... He's easy to spot. Yes. Right? Oh, you got it. Got it's it. always spotted. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I didn't quite get it. That's actually better phrased. Ah, <laughs> uh, whatever. Potato, <laughs> potato. All right, let's go. Let's wrap up. Okay, then. let's ra- wrap up. Uh, guys, you can find uh, Dramas Over Flowers on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. Uh, you can find us personally, me, Poroma, at Festa Faster on Twitter. And you can find me at Anisa Khalifa underscore on Twitter. And you can find us on Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore. And you can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Dramas Over Flowers. And you can find our blog at dramasoverflowers.net. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Okay, now it's one o'clock. Bye. Okay. (laughs) 